What's up, Fight fans? Welcome to episode number 136 of The Neutral Corner. I am Micah Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. I feel like I almost went into a radio guy, announcer guy voice there for a second. Welcome to The Neutral Corner, episode 136. I hate when the news guys on TV talk like that. I hate it. It's so fake. Uh, guys on the radio talk like that, too. Anyway, all right. Tangent, tangent. Before we get started with news and notes, wanted to talk to you guys about my fee. Last week, I asked you guys to go to the, uh, the iTunes for the Neutral Corner and drop a rating, and several of you did. Thank you very, very much. This week, I want you guys to go over to Stitcher. Go to stitcher.com slash Montero Unboxing. Find the Neutral Corner podcast on Stitcher. Scroll down to the bottom of the page where the comments are at, and right there, you'll see, uh, I think to the right side, there's just a little link that you click to leave a review or a rating. And please do so. That's what I'd like you guys to do this week. That is the fee for episode 136 of The Neutral Corner. Go to Stitcher. I don't think you have to register or anything like that. I think if it asks for an email, just put a fake freaking email in there, okay? Go there, leave a rating, and leave a quick review. It can be one sentence, two sentences. I don't care. That is the fee for this episode, guys. If you can go to Patreon, please do. Patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. If you want to donate to the show and what we're trying to do here, please do so. Quick shout out to Jordan Jones, who joined the Patreon team last week. Thank you so much, JJ, uh, for, for getting in there and contributing to what we're trying to do here at MOB and the podcast. I was actually talking with a few production people this week here in Atlanta to get the ball rolling on the new setup. So more to come in the future with that stuff. And I know I feel some of you guys are, are saying, Mike, you've been telling us that forever. I know, guys, be patient. I just did move across the freaking country. <laughs> so and I have been traveling a lot and working a lot writing different articles and things like that. So I got a lot of projects going on, but I'm telling you right now, it's in the works. We're gonna get TNC set up where you guys can call in. It's gonna be an interactive show. And not only are you gonna be able to call in with questions and comments, but we're gonna have guests call in, guests in the industry call in. So this show is about to go to a whole new level. That costs money. You guys know we're an independent operation. So if you can get over to Patreon, please do so. Again, thank you to Jordan Jones for doing that. But for the rest of you who aren't ready to do that, go to Stitcher, leave a rating, leave a review. It'll take you 10 seconds. You're already listening to the show, which means you're a diehard freak of a boxing fan if you're listening to the show. What is 30 more seconds of your life? Hell, you can do it while you're listening to this damn episode right now. That's your homework. That's your fee for this episode. Let's get into news and notes. Okay, guys, so this is not a stacked week. We don't have a lot going on this weekend. So I'll take a little more time here with some news and notes. I want to start with something that's a little bit of a question for you guys. So I have been tasked by Doug Fisher uh, for, to, to do a piece on Dimitri Bevel in the December issue of Ring Magazine. So spoiler alert for those of you who subscribe to the magazine. Or hey, you know what? It's not a spoiler because I'm not giving you any material of what I'm going to write about. In fact, it's a little teaser. So you guys know what's coming up. In the December issue, I'm going to do a piece on Dimitri Bevel. The reason why I'm bringing it up is I wanted to ask you guys, is there anything in particular I'm going to talk to him and his team over the next week or two uh, to add to my piece? Is there anything you would like me to ask him, ask his team, ask his promotion, his publicist? I know all these people. So if there's anything particular you'd like me to ask or maybe something you'd like me to hit on in my piece, let me know, guys. This is a chance for you to have some input on a feature that's going to be in Ring Magazine. So comment in the, you know, in the comment section. Let me know what you guys think about that, all right? All right, so one of the things I wanted to kind of rant about a little bit is this whole Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury thing. It has been, what, a week and a half now since Tyson Fury took care of business against uh, Francesco Pianeta. And right then and there, Deontay Wilder, you know, was in Belfast. We all knew it was coming. They announced that the fight is on. Frank Warren's in the ring after the fight. 
Deontay Wilder gets up in the ring. There's a little bit of trash talk. The whole thing with the chicken throwing incident, <laughs> Nando's from Billy Joe Saunders, all of it. I thought it was all good promotion. It was the smart thing to do. Yet here we are a week and a half after, nothing's official. Nothing's officially announced. There's no venue. There's no specific date yet. They haven't even really said for sure that it's gonna be in Vegas. We know it will be. And I actually think Tyson Fury screwed up. He said that during the post-fight uh, interview with Deontay Wilder and the trash talk, and he kind of leaked it out. And I don't think Frank Warren wanted him to leak that out in the moment. Cause you notice Deontay didn't say shit about Vegas. Neither did Frank Warren. So I think Tyson screwed up a little bit there and kind of gave it away. But they haven't even officially announced that it is Vegas. If I'm wrong, correct me on that, guys. But as far as I know, Saturday the 18th, August 18th, right there at that Fury fight, they announced the fight's on. Here we are. What is it? Uh, Monday, August 27th. I'm recording this. The fight's not official. What the hell are they doing? Now, of course, there's rumors that Tyson Fury's having second thoughts. Maybe he's going to pull out. And, you know, look, because of everything Fury's done in the past and in his issues, those sorts of rumors will persist for the rest of his career. He's not going to be able to escape those kind of rumors. For me, I, I, you know, I told you guys I want to do a rant video and I want to talk about the fight in detail, but I really do want to wait until we get an official announcement. Some of you guys on Twitter were giving me hell for that. But now you see why. Here we are a week and a half later, nothing's official yet. So I, I just, I don't want to jump the gun like every other damn channel does. I want to take my time and wait till everything's official and give you guys the scoop when we know all the details. When you guys have the information, then I can go into some of the other behind the scenes stuff. But until that stuff is announced, I'm not comfortable with it, okay? You guys know my style. But as far as actually announcing the fight and promoting it, this is going pay-per-view. Right? It's going to happen two months after the pay-per-view event of the year in all of fight sports between Golovkin and Canelo. I do think Conor McGregor in the MMA world is coming back. I don't know who the hell he's fighting, but I know he's still a brand. I believe that fight will be before November. Correct me if I'm wrong. So <clears throat> I'm sure that will take some of the market share too. So... If, if you're Deontay Wilder, you're Tyson Fury, and, and both of these teams, particularly Frank Warren, who knows what the hell he's doing, what's going on here, man? What is going on here? You've got to promote this thing. You're taking uh, Tyson Fury, who I don't believe has ever fought in Vegas. I think Wilder's fought once in Vegas. That was the first Stavern fight. Neither one of these guys has fought on pay-per-view in the States. And you're trying to do all this new stuff. November, generally speaking especially if you're talking mid to late November, is generally speaking a hard sell in Vegas and on pay-per-view. Now, there are exceptions. Canelo and Cotto, they did a fight in November. I think it was November. And it did very well, right? But those were two of the bigger names in the sport that had been on pay-per-view and had fought in Vegas against top names. So there was a built-in brand already there. You don't have that with this fight. Also, at that fight, there was an ethnic fan base that came in. You have that a little bit with, with Fury. He's going to bring over some UK fans. I understand that. But again, this fight's supposed to take place in Vegas at a casino in November. I'm thinking this is starting to look more and more and more like a Kovalev Ward situation. Kovalev Ward won, which I think was around that time of the year, and it did not do well. So neither one of those guys have been on pay-per-view either. One was American. One was quote-unquote foreign. They had been on HBO and Showtime plenty, but sometimes timing and everything, guys, is it matters and promotion matters. And we live in a 24-hour news cycle. And for boxing, in Twitter, social media, everything is 24 hours. Boom, boom, boom. Now, sometimes the buzz of a particular event, whether it's a news event in boxing or a fight that happened or a fight that's coming up, whatever, that buzz can last for a week. But generally speaking, boxing news travels Saturday to Saturday because that's when the big fights are. They're on Saturday. So Saturday to Saturday, you own that space. And I really thought that the week after Tyson Fury took care of business against, against Pianetta and they had that announcement, they had that week. They had that whole week 
to get everything announced, to get it out. And they screwed it up, man. They just screwed it up. And here we are almost two weeks later, nothing announced. So I don't know what the hell they're doing, but you can't just do a pay-per-view fight and charge thousands of dollars for tickets in Vegas after the big events already happened, and that's Canelo Golovkin 2. You can't do that without promotion. And you need time to promote. If this fight's going to take place in the middle of November, you need at least two, three months to promote a pay-per-view card, preferably more. They're already down under three months, so they need to get the ball rolling. Speaking of Canelo Golovkin, they just had their public workouts yesterday, Sunday, in Los Angeles at the Bank of California Stadium. That's where that Los Angeles football club plays. And obviously, I wasn't going to fly across the country to go to that workout. It looked a little bit like a cluster blank. <laughs> um, but... I watched the stream just like you guys did, most of you. Those of you who are in L.A. understand why you'd want to go. It's fun. But, uh, you know, here, here are my thoughts. I thought that Golovkin looked very jovial, relaxed. He was smiling. He was laughing. He was playing to the crowd. Abel Sanchez was talking a lot of trash. Most of the crowd seemed to like Triple G uh, be for him. I'm not saying it was like, Majority for Golovkin, but, it, you know, 55-45, maybe 60-40. That's just the way it felt. Um, and, and that's significant. That is significant because it's Los Angeles and Canelo's a Mexican. And Los Angeles is 50% Mexican. So, and when you're talking boxing, it's almost majority Mexican if you're, if you're in L.A. So for Golovkin to carry that fan base like that, you know, that says a lot. Golovkin didn't work out that long. He didn't really look intense to me. He looked like he always looks. He absolutely looks in shape. And it's hard to say from media workouts and public workouts and everything else. It's all for show. It's all bullshit at the end of the day. But to me, Golovkin looked more relaxed and more, all right, let me go in there and do a couple rounds, play around a little bit, sign some autographs, take some pictures, and get the hell out of here. That's what I saw. From Canelo, I saw a guy who was very, very serious. Now, people have made a lot about him not taking his shirt off. I think there's a little bit of mind games going on there. He's not fat. That's not why he kept the shirt on, because he looks like both guys look almost on weight. And we already know that they're pretty much on weight because they did their 30-day WBC weigh-in. So Canelo didn't leave his shirt on because he's fat. I think with all the drama with the clombuterol and everything else and people talking about his physique and all that, I think he's not going to take off his shirt to the damn weigh-in. And I think a little bit of that is showmanship. I think it's a little bit of making people think, including Team Golovkin. I actually think it's a really smart move by Canelo to do that. If I were Canelo, I would have showed up in damn a sweatsuit. I would have just showed up in a whole sweatsuit and wore a, a hoodie and not taking that shit off. That's what I would have did. I just think that showmanship and it's getting people to think, getting the rumor mills going. Oh, man. Some people were like, oh, he looks smaller. It looks like he's lost muscle. Other people are saying he looks huge. He looks just as big as last year, maybe bigger. It all depends on who you talk to. But I, that, to me, the leaving the shirt on thing wasn't a big deal. What I noticed, though, is he put in rounds of work. He definitely put in more work than Golovkin did. I definitely think he was trying to send a message. He was throwing a lot of hard punches and wasn't playing around. There was some of the pool noodles bullshit and the shadow boxing bullshit, but a lot of that circular pad work looked pretty damn serious to me from Canelo. So to me, there wasn't a lot of laughing, joking, smiling, a little bit in the interview after the workout, but during the workout, I didn't see him joking around the way I saw Gennady doing that. From what I saw, Canelo looks like a man on a mission to prove some, some people wrong. That's just what I saw. Golovkin looks relaxed. Now, some people might take that as him taking the fight lightly. Him not giving a shit. Him thinking already, oh, the fix is in. Or maybe, you know, I, I can't win, you know, because it's fixed. It's Vegas. Or, or maybe he's overconfident and he's cocky. Or maybe it's all showmanship from him as well. Hey, man, I'm going to come in here, slap the, this circular pad for a couple rounds, and go sign autographs. 
I'm so ready for this shit. I ain't showing you nothing, Canelo. So maybe that's showmanship from Golovkin. The little bit I have spent, you know, off camera with Golovkin, talking to him, talking to uh, his team, Tom, Abel, those guys. Gennady doesn't like doing the media shit. He just doesn't like it. He likes, you know, signing autographs and being there for people and stuff like that. He understands it's a part of the game, but he would rather be home with his family or at the gym with the guys. He actually likes being at the gym with the guys. That's his favorite place to be, besides being home with his family, of course. He doesn't like doing the media crap. He wants to get in and get out. So, uh, you know, that's what I took from it, guys. Uh, you know, honestly, both guys are in shape. I think they both realize this is the biggest fight of their career. It's the best opponent of their career. And yes, for Canelo, I'm including the Mayweather fight in that. He was supposed to lose the Mayweather fight. That was, I mean, they knew that when they signed the contract. He was supposed to lose that. That was a brand building exercise. That was all taken care of before they even got in the ring. All right. All things considered, Golovkin is Canelo's best opponent. Canelo is Golovkin's best opponent. This rematch is even bigger than the first fight. Biggest fight of their career. One thing I did notice, not as much buzz for this workout. The workout last year, and yeah, I was in town, I was there, you know, so it's, it's a little bit different, but there was just, it felt like there were more people. It felt like it was even hotter at the workouts last year. There were more people who waited longer and there was no shade, no shade at all. It was sunny as hell, no shade. At that football stadium, there's a little bit of shade up in the stands. I just didn't see as big of a crowd. So there is slightly less buzz but I'm telling you, come fight week, come the week or two before the fight, the buzz will hit, people will get excited, and this pay-per-view is going to be successful. This promotion is going to be successful. All right, next subject, Manny Pacquiao. They're talking about him coming over to DAZN or Dazin or however the hell you say it. And I guess there's actually legs to this story. Steve Kim wrote about it on Boxing Scene. And he's in good with the pack camp. So um, he's in good with Eddie Hearn and those guys too. These talks are real. I think it very well could happen. It would be a very smart move from Pacquiao if he doesn't want to work with Bob Arum anymore. If he wants to go freelance and not work with top rank, you know if you deal with top rank, you're dealing with ESPN. If he goes on to zone, who there, there's a huge financial investment they're making. There's money to be made. And it's a international streaming service. So Pacquiao can continue to fight in whatever damn country he wants and get paid more off the zone than he would with the ESPN Plus app. Notice I said ESPN Plus app, not ESPN. The ESPN Plus app, lower price structure and everything else, smaller cost structure and all that, they pick up a lot of these foreign rights fights that are extremely cheap. Pacquiao obviously is going to want to make a lot of money. So DAZN can put up more money for those sort of fights. And I think that it would make total sense for Manny Pacquiao and Amir Khan to fight. They're talking about possibly fighting in December. That fight would make sense over in the UK, obviously. Pacquiao has never fought over there. Khan's last couple fights have been over there since he signed uh, with Hearn. So it would make total sense to go over to the UK. The, the tax structure and all that would be different for Pacquiao too. If they wanted to come to America, and I highly, highly freaking doubt that would happen. I'm just saying, guys. If somehow this got pushed to next year and they wanted to do a Pacquiao-Khan fight in America, it would make sense in Vegas. Khan's fought in Vegas, so has Pacquiao. It would make sense. But I just think that would go to the UK, especially if they do it in December. December. Um, and Pacquiao's never fought over there. So I think the fans would show up and I think it'd be profitable. I definitely think it's going to happen. All right, so let's talk about these uh, YouTube stars, quote unquote, fighting last Saturday. And for those of you who know what I'm about to talk about and you don't want to hear about it, just skip forward a few minutes, all right? Because I'm with you. Logan Paul, or is it Paul Logan? I think it's Paul Logan. And KSI, and I think Paul Logan's from America. I think KSI is from the UK. Apparently, these two guys did an exhibition boxing match. 
for $10. It was a live pay-per-view for $10 on YouTube. And they did it at an arena over in the UK where 18,000 fans showed up. This is insane. Now, I didn't watch the damn fight. I didn't even know it was happening. But so many of you guys on Twitter brought it up that I, I found little clips of the fight. I haven't seen the whole fight, but I watched the little clips and I did a little research on it before I uh, went to record today. And uh, I mean, these guys have no business boxing. They look like idiots trying to box. But I, I looked these guys up and KSI has 20 million subscribers, not 20,000, 20 million. And Logan Paul has 18 million subscribers. I think KSI is a rapper. I have no idea what Logan Paul does. Absolutely no idea. Uh, he does look like a walking stereotype, though. That Logan Paul guy looks like the consummate stereotype of what, you know, certain political persuasions people would say the average privileged Caucasian dude looks like. That's just, he, he looks like that to a T. I don't know if he is, but he, he's just... He looks like a frat boy, lacrosse playing, rich, privileged prick that I just want to punch in a dick. And by the way, so does KSI. He's just a UK version of it. Both of these guys, I could give a flying F uh, if they got hit by a bus tomorrow. I mean, I just don't know anything about them. And you guys asked me about this. So apparently it peaked at 773,000, uh, the live stream on YouTube. So I don't know. I guess that's how many officially bought it. So you guys can do math, right? That's over $7 million. And the overhead for a YouTube stream is pretty cheap. It's pretty low versus doing it on a network. So these guys had to just rake up money. They had to make so much freaking money off this. And apparently there are over 1 million people watching it on Twitch. I don't know what the hell Twitch is, but... Over a million people watch there. I think that's like a, a pirating service. So more people watch this fight for free than actually bought it, but almost 800,000 people actually bought it. So that tells you two things. Number one, people are cheap as hell because if they wanted to watch this fight and were interested, they wouldn't even pay 10 damn dollars for it. Number two, the people that did pay $10 for it are stupid. <laughs> So yes, I'm being a hypocrite right here. Uh, I think they're stupid because I have no idea who these people are. I, I watched a couple of their videos and it just looks like they play pranks and do stupid rap songs and stuff. Like I, these are the people running YouTube right now. I, I, I do not understand it. But I asked you guys on Twitter because it is a slow week to ask me a few questions. And Dethroned South on Twitter asked, related to this fight. With the unfortunate success of the YouTubers pay-per-view boxing event, do you believe real boxing promoters will start using YouTube as a pay-per-view vehicle in what might be some of the pros and cons? Okay, so um, obviously Dethrone South, um, you already know that YouTube is already being utilized by promoters, right? Um, Showtime just did, I just talked about the Tyson Fury, Francesco Pianeta fight. That was on Showtime's YouTube channel. And we've seen that from various different platforms, different promoters. It's a free service. People can go there and you can get these fights out there to your subscribers. I think that it's a smart thing to do, especially for a premium cable company, because you are getting money in the end because your subscribers, you know, if let, let's just say, let's say that uh, Fury Pianeta fight, let's say, I don't even know what the numbers are, but let's say a quarter of a million people watch that stream live. If 0.1% of them end up buying Showtime because of it, that's a, that's a profitable thing for Showtime to do. And even if not one person subscribed and they spent $100,000 doing that, they didn't, it was, didn't even cost them that much. But even if they did, right, they already have subscribers paying for Showtime every month because they want boxing. And part of buying Showtime is you're not just buying the network anymore. You're buying the network plus the app plus the social media. You're buying all of it. That's how media works now. And I think Showtime gets that more so than HBO. 
And they understand that part of that monthly premium you pay for Showtime includes this YouTube stuff and the stuff you might get on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So I, it's already they're utilizing YouTube, right? But you asked about YouTube pay-per-view. Do I see big time promoters like Eddie Hearn, uh, you know, Matchroom or Top Rank with Bob Arum or Golden Boy doing that? No, I think they're gonna continue to do their own platforms. You look at Matchroom with DAZN. Why do a pay-per-view on YouTube when YouTube is getting a cut of your, um, all of your ads, all your advertisements? They're taking a cut of that and then there's, there's some overhead there where you gotta pay them because they're providing the streaming. Why do that when you can just do it on the zone and you already have a built-in deal and they're paying you? It's the same thing with top rank with ESPN. No doubt at some point, there will be a pay-per-view on ESPN Plus. That sounds crazy, right? ESPN with top rank, they're gonna have pay-per-views with Lomachenko and stuff. It's gonna happen. If Lomachenko and Garcia fight, right? That's gonna be an ESPN pay-per-view. But at some point, there might be a fight like in the middle that, you know, maybe it's $10 or something. You put that in the ESPN Plus app. You get the app, or for the people who have the app that pay a few dollars more, boom, maybe there's a pay-per-view there. Uh, same thing with the zone. You're paying a monthly premium, but maybe there's a pay-per-view there. I could see that happening one day. I don't see those guys leaving those platforms and going to YouTube because you're, you're spending more money that way. You keep more of the money by keeping it on the platform you've been building everything on. However, smaller promoters and little independent operations absolutely will use YouTube as a pay-per-view. It just makes sense. It's cheaper. If you are a club-level promoter, it is very, very expensive to put on your own production and stream your own content. You look at what Thompson Boxing does right now out of the Southern California, Los Angeles area, how they stream those cards. Now they stream them on Facebook and Periscope and everything else. They have the technology, so they have a certain deal worked out where they're not gonna go right up on YouTube. But if you were new in that game, if you were a promoter who was new and you were trying to get some of your guys on YouTube and you thought you could sell 5,000 pay-per-views for 10 bucks a pop, man, that's 50 grand. And if you're dealing at the club level, that makes a, that's a lot of money. Those promoters are not making money like that. So I could absolutely see YouTube pay-per-view being utilized at the local club level for promoters. Hell yeah. As far as celebrity, quote unquote, you know, events like this, they've happened in boxing. Circus acts like this have happened in boxing for 100 years, guys. There have been grudge matches between media members and politicians and stuff that did boxing matches on the radio in the early 20th century. Just Google it, look that stuff up. You can find, you can read about that stuff. And then when it went to TV, it was the same thing. There, there's been, even in the, was it the 90s or maybe early 2000s, Fox briefly had uh, what they called celebrity boxing. And it was B-rate, over the hill celebrities fighting each other in exhibition matches. I think we've seen presidential candidates. Didn't Mitt Romney have a boxing thing or something like that recently? That seems to be... I can't remember exactly, but that's hitting my memory. Just that kind of stuff has always happened. And now YouTube is, is becoming the media. It's, it's taken over, like people are going to YouTube to get entertainment. And a lot of people out there, almost 800,000 people, were willing to fork over $10 to watch two guys that they know and watch, I don't know why, but two channels that they subscribe to and support. They are willing to pay 10 bucks to, to watch this fight. And for them, it was worth the $10. Now, I'm sure if these two idiots charged 50 bucks, they wouldn't have sold any pay-per-views. But 10 bucks, it's not that much, right? So you guys know you'll spend that on a beer the next time you go out to lunch or to dinner or whatever. So I get it. It makes sense. And I do think we're going to see a lot more of this. Apparently, this Paul Logan and KSI dude, they, they had a draw. So they're going to fight again. And they'll probably charge 12 or $15 for that pay-per-view and it will sell even more. So I do think that in a way, this is kind of the future of amateur boxing. I, I think you're gonna see more stuff like this. And I've been asked by people, would I ever do 
a pay-per-view fight on YouTube with like a media member, a boxing media member that I had beef with or something like that. I, I would, I would be willing to do that if the money was right. But here's the thing, we're not gonna move the needle. If me and whoever, person X, whoever you guys wanted to see me fight, were to do a fight on pay-per-view, I have 7,000 subscribers, even if they have 50,000. We can't charge $10 for the pay-per-view. It's not gonna be worth it financially for us. We'd have to charge 25 bucks. Could we get 50,000 people to pay 25 bucks? <laughs> Probably not. So I don't know if it'd ever be worth it. You know, I already go to the gym on the weekend and spar and get punched in the face for free. If I'm gonna do it on YouTube for the whole world to see, if it's forever gonna be on the internet like that, well, guess what? I'm getting paid and I'm getting paid well for it. And you know, would I fight Paul Logan or KSI on YouTube? Hell yeah, you wanna see that shit? Start banging the drums for that. I'll do that one, because I'll make a million freaking dollars and I'll knock one of these chumps out. Other than that though, probably not gonna happen. All right, one more question from Twitter. Geek Batman, he asked, which media platform like YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or boxing websites is most important for a boxer, a blogger, and a fan, and why? Interesting question, my man. Um, you know, it, it's different for different people. And that's kind of the beauty of it, but also the annoyance of it and danger of it at the same time. So what do I mean by that? If you are an independent operator like me, you know, YouTube is important. You guys see I do a ton of work here. In between my pieces in Ring or Boxing Monthly or whatever, those are, you know, I do a handful of those a year. Day to day, week to week, I do most of my work here on YouTube. Every day I'm on Twitter. So those things are very, very important to me. But um, if you're a guy who works with the ESPN crew, obviously the ESPN site is where you want everybody to go. You don't want them to go to YouTube. You, you, and you're gonna use your Twitter to get people over to your stuff on ESPN. I would say for a fan, a boxing fan these days, there are, I don't know, 20 or so guys in boxing media that I think are worth a follow. There are hundreds of others that are not. And that to me is where I say the annoyance and the danger comes in because there are a lot of guys who can have their own little blog, their own little space on social media, whether it's uh, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, or they start their own site and they could pretty much say whatever the hell they wanna say. And there will be people out there who buy into their bullshit because, I mean, this is the way all media works now. People who are biased, they want to consume biased material. So they will seek out biased sources of information so they can have their confirmation bias fed. And we see a hell of a lot of that in boxing, quote unquote, media. A lot of people that call themselves new media, there's this term that's popped up called new media, which I think is idiotic. You're either media or you're not. There's no such thing as new media, right? There's no new and old, it's just freaking media. A lot of these guys calling themselves new media are fake media. Nobody in the actual business that's worth a damn respects them. They're on the fringes. They have big followings though, and they can kind of get away with saying whatever the hell they want because there's no checks being placed on them. No one's checking up on them. There's no fact checking, I should say. And sometimes these guys get credentialed to fight, sometimes they don't, it really doesn't matter. The people that go to them aren't looking for unbiased, objective news. They want nasty shit. And you know, I've dealt with several different factions of these people, whether it's the PBC cult, the Alexander Povetkin defenders. Uh, you know, it comes from different sides and different angles. The Canelo Alvarez wackos, the Tyson Fury wackos, they're starting to get crazy. The Pacquiao wackos, I talked about those guys. Mikey, Mike, Mikey Garcia, he's starting to get wackos now. So they're, from, they're all over the place, bro. But for you, I would just say, seek out sources, whether it's a boxing website, YouTube channel, or whoever you follow on Instagram or Twitter, that are unbiased and objective. Guys who go back and forth in their opinion. So for me, as an example, 
You guys have seen situations where I have defended Gennady Golovkin when he needed defending. You have seen situations where I have criticized Gennady Golovkin. You know, a lot of people think I'm this Golovkin lover, right? But I don't have him rated pound for pound number one. There are people out there, including like Ring Magazine, who I write for. I'm on the, the, editor, the Ring Ratings Committee. And everybody else seemingly on that committee feels Golovkin's pound for pound number one. And I tell him every week, he's not. Lomachenko and Crawford are higher up the, the, the list right now than Golovkin is, period. And so I, I can, although, you know, I am a fan of what Golovkin does, and, and, and I think we need more Golovkins in boxing, of course, but I can be objective, right? There are times that Deontay Wilder has deserved criticism. There are times where he has deserved support. The whole thing with him and Povetkin and all that stuff, people were saying he was ducking Povetkin. That's, that's asinine. That's absolutely ridiculous. And just so anyway, I say this to tell you, you can go back and you can, if you do five minutes of research and just look back at different videos, different things I've tweeted, you'll see me criticize and, and support fighters, compliment them and criticize them. You'll see me go back and forth. There are a lot of guys doing this, calling themselves media who have way bigger profiles than me, who don't do that, who stay all one way and ride with one platform. At least it's, it's, they considerably, uh, they favor considerably one platform over the rest. Those are the guys to avoid, bro. I'm not gonna name names, but you probably could name a few yourself. So just seek out independent sources that are objective and not afraid to criticize people when they deserve it, all right? Okay, guys, that's enough news and notes and ranting. Let's get into the review of what happened last week. Friday, August 24th at the Minneapolis Armory. It was PBC on Fox Sports 1. And this card was kind of a freak show from top to bottom. There were some interesting things on this card. One guy got knocked out of the ring, came back into the ring, got beat up for the rest of the fight, but finished on his feet. Um, and then there was a guy who just walked out right at the opening bell. And I don't think I've seen that before. I've seen a lot of crazy shit, but I don't think I've seen that one. So it was a heavyweight fight. A Nigerian based in Houston, Effie Ahagba, Ajag, Ajagba. I don't know if that J is silent or not. He was he won a DQ1 over Curtis Harper. Curtis Harper, the hurt. You guys might remember him from when he fought Chris Ariola in uh, California a couple years back. I was ringside for that one, and that was an entertaining heavyweight fight. It was sloppy as hell, and there was a lot of flailing and flab flying all over the place. A lot of stomach fat and sweat, you know, and titties and back titties flopping around. But it was a very entertaining heavyweight scrap because those two guys went to war and it went to distance. So some people remember Harper from that fight. But he's a gatekeeper, if that. And obviously he was being brought in as the opponent. I think he knew it. I think anybody, you know, a toddler who's never seen boxing before could look at these two and guess who was gonna win. So uh, right at the opening bell, he just walks out. He, he, you know, I've seen people not show up for fights, but they wouldn't leave the dressing room. I've seen that before. I've seen guys who just never showed up to the venue or who during fight week took off, uh, refused to go to the weigh-in. Like I've seen all that kind of stuff. I've seen guys after the weigh-in leave and never come back. But I've never seen a dude wait until the opening bell and then leave. And I think now, apparently he wasn't happy with what he was being paid. So I, I don't know the details on that. But to me, what I saw with this whole thing was him wanting to do it on television to really stick it into the PBC people, the promotion. And I don't think he was trying to punish his opponent in any way. Obviously, Curtis Harper knew if he walked out of the ring, his opponent was going to win by disqualification. He knows the rules. He gets that. So... This wasn't embarrassing his opponent at all. This was kind of saying F you to the whole promotion, to PBC, to the whole thing, to the promoter, all of it. So that to me is what I think he was trying to accomplish here. He had to know in the back of his mind that his career is over now. Nobody is ever going to work with him again. And he's going to be remembered 
I just talked about that slugfest with Chris Ariola, which prior to this, this weekend, that's anybody who knew Curtis Harper, that's what they remembered him for. Now he's going to be remembered for this. So I talked about that Saturday to Saturday news cycle in boxing, right? So from the start of that Saturday, or I'm sorry, this was actually Friday night. From the end of that fight, there was already videos of it on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And you're going to see that all week. And actually, it might carry on for a couple weeks because there's not much going on this weekend at all. But that's going to just carry. He's, he's basically a meme now. But, you know, he made his decision. Honestly, I thought it was entertaining and kind of fun. But it was just kind of a weird night. And that just topped it off, man. Okay, so on this card, Caleb Truax, who's a local guy, gets a TKO3 win, gets back in the win column. Willie Monroe Jr. scores a 10-round unanimous decision over Javier Francisco Maciel. And now he wants Jamal Charlo next, who is calling the fights, um, guest commentating. And, um, you know, okay, okay. I mean, do, do I think Monroe has some skills? Yes, he has some boxing skills. He can't punch through a wet paper bag. He doesn't throw enough combinations. If he actually punched in combination, I think you could give Charlo a lot to think about. But even with his speed and his skills and his slick style, and he is defensively responsible for the most part, most part because he only punches one at a time, Charlo will walk through some of that shit and eventually catch him. And I, I see Charlo stopping him. In the main event, Jamal James scores a KO2 win over Mahonri Montez. So since James's, and he's another local guy from that Minneapolis area, since his unanimous decision loss to your Dennis Ugas, and I think that was the only loss, the first and only loss of his pro career, that was in 2016. He is 4-0 with two knockouts. <clears throat> he's ready to step it up again. He's ready to fight one of the top 10 guys. He's as ready as he's ever going to be. He's taken the first L. He's gotten his confidence back. He's learned from it. Let's see him in against the top guy. So Saturday, August 25th, <clears throat> at the Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona. It's just outside Phoenix. It was another top rank on ESPN card. Female fight, Michaela Mayer. She wins. Brazilian Olympian Robson Consecao, he wins. Both of those guys win on the undercard. In the co-main, Isaac Dogbo, or Dog Bay, I should say. Isaac Dog Bay scores a TKO win over the Japanese fighter Hidenori Otaki. I talked about that in a preview last week, and I said with these Japanese dudes, you don't know what you're getting. Well, guess what? <laughs> Dog Bay got target practice. That's all he got. It, it looked like Otake uh, just came over for the payday. And it, look, I'm not trying to take anything away from the guy. It just looked like he had absolutely no business being in the ring with, with Dog Bay. Even though he was the bigger guy, taller, longer, physically probably stronger, Dog Bay was just so much better. And it was obvious from the first second after the opening bell. So he blasted him out of there. It was the first defense of the WBO uh, Super Bantamweight or Junior Featherweight title that he won when he knocked out Magdaleno in April. Dog Bay is now 20-0, 14 knockouts. And I talked about this on Twitter. He might be the best damn fighter at 122 pounds. Born in Ghana now lives and trains out of London. He needs to start fighting over there. So his next fight should be in the UK. If he's training and living out of London, and you know, Boxing Monthly Magazine's talked about him, BoxingMonthly.com's talked about him. You know, we've talked about him a lot uh, because he's one of the better little fighters out there right now. Boxing is, you know, UK boxing is crazy right now. It's a boxing crazed country. Get this guy on over in London on a fight. He's turning 24 next month. It just seems like the sky's the limit. Guillermo Rigondeaux is still rated number one at Ring Magazine at 122 pounds. And this was a question posed this weekend on the Ring Ratings Committees. I'm giving you guys all this inside scoop, man. See, this is why you listen to me, because I'm giving you the inside scoop. But we were going back and forth, Ring Ratings Committee, this weekend. Should Rigondeaux be number one at 122? And here's my position. Yeah, he's making a comeback. Apparently, he's got a new team with him, new promotion. He's going to be back soon. But here's the real. Let's just keep it real with Rigo. 
one fight at 122 pounds over the last 24 months. And that was a one round no contest because he landed a punch after the bell to score a stoppage. Remember that? No fights in 2018. His last fight was at 126. Dog Bay, over that same time, the last however many months, has several quality wins spanning three different continents. And took that title from Jesse Magdaleno in April. I think that fight, that win for him, trumps anything Rigondeaux has done at 122 since 2013. You got to go back to 2013 when Rigo beat Nonito Donaire and Joseph Agbeko. That was a great year for him. He was one of the top fighters of the year in 2013. But since that point, some of it wasn't his fault, but a lot of it was. He did get opportunities. He made stupid business decisions with, uh, what was it, Caribe Promotions or whoever he was working with. Then it was Rock Nation. And obviously, they don't know what the hell they're doing. But he got opportunities and he blew them. He stunk the joint out. And then he got his big, big chance against Vasily Lomachenko, and he quit. He made up a fake injury, quit. So should he be rated number one at 122? No. I think Isaac Dogbay should be. And that's what I said. That's what I told the committee. In my opinion, this guy is the best at 122 pounds. I'm curious what you guys think. In the main event, Jose Pedraza out of Puerto Rico scores a unanimous decision win over Raimundo Beltran of Mexico, but now lives in the Phoenix area. That's actually his adopted hometown. It's where he's lived for a long time now. Wins the WBO lightweight title. Scores a knockdown in the 11th in route to scoring the unanimous decision win. Pedraza, let's look at him. Puerto Rican fighter, right? Won the vacant IBF 130-pound title back in June of 2015. Defended it twice in October of that year in Cincinnati. And then in April of 2016 at Foxwoods Casino. Not one defense in Puerto Rico. He had a Puerto Rican fighter with a world title, and they didn't take his very next fight to Puerto Rico. His very next fight was in Cincinnati, not necessarily a Puerto Rican stronghold. So the guy wasn't promoted the right way, and his team didn't do the right thing. When he won that title, there should have been a defense in Puerto Rico. It just would have made sense. Anyway, that was 2015 and 2016. Sat on the shelf. I think there was one fight in 2016. That was it. Sat on the shelf for the rest of the year. Again, should have been a fight in Puerto Rico then, later in 2016. Maybe there were injuries or something I can't remember. Either way, fights Gervonta Davis uh, January of 2017 and loses badly. So I thought his career was being very mismanaged. Puerto Rican demographic is very important in boxing. You have a Puerto Rican fighter who has a title. They should be fighting in Puerto Rico. They should be fighting in New York at least once a year. That's where they need to go, man. Never happened for him. He signed with top rank this year, 2018. He's already had three fights this year, in March, in June, and now this one in August. Now he's got a world title again. And now he's going to fight Vasil Lomachenko in his fourth fight of 2018 in a unification fight. Fighting the best fighter pound for pound on ESPN to unify titles. Huge opportunity. And he's got Lomachenko coming off surgery, coming off an injury, surgery, recovery, layoff. So what a turn of events since this guy signed with top rank. He's going to get a career-high payday and be in a title unification against the best fighter pound-for-pound in the world on a massive sports entertainment platform, the biggest sports entertainment platform in America. Now, do you guys still, some of you Mikey Garcia wackos, do you still think promoters don't mean shit? Do you still think promoters don't matter? Here's an example for the billionth time of why, yes, they do. Now, not all promoters are created equal. I just talked about Guillermo Rigondeau signing with the wrong promoters. I just talked about Pedraza before the Gervonta Davis fight. He was a PBC guy. I'm not trying to beat up on PBC, but there's a pattern here, ladies and gentlemen. Since signing with top rank, look at how this man's life has changed. 
Now, obviously, we all know the story. Beltron was, I, I think, I think Bob Arum would have preferred Beltron win this fight. And he had a different opponent at first. That opponent fell through. Pedraza steps in. So it was a little bit of luck for Pedraza. I get that. Either way, he was going to fight on this card. He was still going to get in three or four fights this year and make some money and be on these big cards. Obviously, Bob Arum, Grandpa Bob, he wanted Beltron to win this fight, whoever the hell he fought, so that he could have Beltron and Lomachenko in Los Angeles at the Forum because that would have made the most sense. And Beltron is one of Aram's favorites. He, he just likes him. So that, that was, you know, the plan. That would have been like the preferred course of events. But Pedraza took destiny into his own hands. But that wouldn't have happened. That this whole opportunity, yeah, a little bit of luck, yeah, yeah, yeah. But none of this would have happened if he wouldn't have signed with top rank. So again, I'll go back to Mikey Garcia. You think this shit don't matter? It matters, guys. It definitely matters. Now, for Beltron, 37 years old, quite a story, goes from a sparring partner for Manny Pacquiao all the way to a world titleist, even though that title is paper thin. Like, you guys hear this? You hear my notes? The piece of paper my notes are on? That is thicker and heavier than the title Beltron won, right? He won a vacant title. But this guy has had a career of ups and downs. He was legitimately robbed against Ricky Burns in 2013. Ricky Burns, one of the weaker multi-division titleists in recent boxing history. And there's an example of it. He got a complete gift against Beltron. So Beltron, there was an injustice there. Beltron should have been a world titleist five years ago. He really should have been. He was robbed against Burns. He fought Crawford in 2014. You're not going to beat Crawford. He's pound for pound, maybe number one, maybe number two in the world right now. This guy takes steroids in 2015, gets caught, admits it. And one of my issues with Beltron, now again, I'm being fair here. He got robbed in 2013, should have been a Titleist. But this guy used steroids, he tried to cheat, he got caught, and he is a darling of the West Coast boxing press. A lot of guys got to know him by going to the wild card all those years to see Manny spar. And it was hard to get access to Manny all the time, but you could always get access to Ray. And he's just a favorite of the media. Some of it's political maybe, some of it's demographic, but some of it is also he's just a nice guy. And I think a lot of those guys who are hard on other fighters who have tested positive for performance enhancing drugs or said stupid things or had uh, legal issues or whatever outside the ring and, and really, really you know, dump all over those guys are, in my opinion, a little hypocritically soft and forgiving to Beltron, who is a steroid cheat. So, look, dude did his suspension. He had a year-long suspension. He's been doing the best testing available since. So, bygones be bygones. You did the crime. You did the time. You move on. I get it. It shouldn't be held against him forever. But I just always thought that this guy was just kind of given a free pass from a lot of the same people who beat up on other fighters. And I just thought that was hypocritical. Either way, this guy has had a ton of ups and downs in his career, but you gotta be happy for him. He ends up finally getting a world title, even though it was paper thin, but you know what, so what? The guy should have had a title five years ago when he went over and fought Ricky Burns. So he deserved it. And with all of his ups and downs, it's a great story. I actually think the story of Ray Beltron, including the steroids, because it shows he's a human being who screws up. But as it relates to him being uh, an immigrant and trying to get legal status, and with all that politically going on right now in the country, I actually think the story of Ray Beltron would make for a hell of a book. I think it'd make for a hell of a boxing book and a hell of a TV movie. I really, really do. Somebody should get on that. Maybe I should. Maybe I should call Ray's people and start writing a damn book. All right, so it's probably time to hang him up for Beltron. This was supposed to be a homecoming. He fought in Phoenix where he's lived forever. He hasn't fought in Arizona for years. Maybe one more fight. Maybe one more fight, whether it's back in Arizona or Southern California against a journeyman gatekeeper level guy that he can win, and then it's time to hang him up. Ray's been in a lot of gym wars, including sparring. 
Don't want to fight on too much longer. He looked really, really old in this fight. All right, guys, that's it. A little bit to preview coming up this week. Let's get into it. This Tuesday, August 28th, over in Thailand, it is possibly the new crowning of the new improved TBE. Shyafan Munsri, alias Wanhang Menayothid. Let me say that again. Alias Wanhang Menayothid. It's 50 and 0, ladies and gentlemen. 50 and 0. 18 knockouts. Going up against a 21-year-old Filipino fighter, Pito Taduran. Taduran. The 10th defense of his WBC minimum weight title. 105-pound title. 10th defense. What is a 21-year-old Filipino who's never fought anybody of note doing in a title defense? Hey, I don't know. Ask Mauricio Suleiman in the WBC. This is what they do, especially over in Thailand. But if this guy wins, and he's going to win, he's going to be 51-0. By the time most of you listen to this episode tomorrow, we will have a new TBE, 51-0. And for all of you Mayweather cult followers, who go on and on and on about O's. And you talk about Andre Ward's O. Some of you talk about Joe Calzaghe's O. You can go back and talk about Sven Ock's O. There's plenty of O's. This latest example of Shayafon Munsri, alias Wanhang Mena Yothin, shows you O's don't mean shit. It doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter. Not, o, not all O's are created equal. Obviously, Floyd fought better people than this guy. But doesn't mean shit. If you keep fighting long enough and you fight the best, you're going to lose sometimes. It's okay. But I'm going to beat this thing into the ground with the new TBE just to, so, just to show how ridiculously stupid it is for a lot of people to hold up Floyd Mayweather's record is why he's the best fighter of all time. Because he's not even in the top 10. All right, Saturday, September 1st from Indio, California. Golden Boy Promotions is back on Facebook Facebook Watch. Uh, Here's the thing. This card, which they were going to have Ryan Garcia, the Justin Bieber of boxing, going up against Carlos Morales in a 10-rounder for the main event. I've seen this listed on several outlets, on several publications. But I checked BoxRec today, and it's not there. So I don't know what the hell is going on with this. As far as I know, this fight is still on. And uh, it's going to be on Facebook Watch. Hopefully the stream holds up this time. I guess we'll see. And then there's a uh, a card on Cloud TV from South Africa featuring Tabiso Munchu. You guys, if that name sounds familiar, you might remember he fought Oleksandr Usyk at the Forum in Los Angeles back in December of 2016. Going up against Thomas Ustuizen. Both of them are South African natives. Hopefully they can avoid the genocide that's going on over there that the media here in the United States just doesn't want to talk about for some reason and uh, avoid some of that violence. Some crazy shit going on in South Africa right now. But uh, if you turn on CNN, Fox, whatever, you just wouldn't know what's going on. Crazy. But if you guys are bored, you want to watch something, get Cloud TV and watch this card from South Africa. If any of you spent $10 on that stupid YouTube fight, Shame on you, number one. It's just shame on you. But you guys could spend a few bucks and get this cloud TV fight. Uh, that's it, guys. That's absolutely freaking it. Nothing else going on this weekend. Next week, Amir Khan fights uh, on Saturday the 8th, September 8th. Next, next week. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, Superfly 3 on HBO. Garcia Porter on Showtime. So fear not, my boxing diehard freak friends. This weekend is dead, but the following weekend, we are back, baby, and back with a vengeance. So that's it for this week, guys. Remember your assignment, your homework, your fee for this episode. Get over to Stitcher and do what you got to do, all right? I'll see you at the fights.